Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, John. Thank you, McGeorge family. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's do it. I tell you what, I'm excited this morning. We're continuing in our sermon series titled The Simplest Way to Change the World. And this morning is very simple, uh, very simple title. It's called A New Creation. It's what it's going to look like to be a new creation in Christ. The series we're in is part of our Bless Every Home initiative in, list, in, in which what we're doing is we're attempting to take the gospel out of these walls to other people. See, we don't want to be a church that just sits around and waits for people to show up on our doorstep. We want to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus in every single thing that we do. And so this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to draw your attention to several of my favorite scripture passages that are in the entire Bible. And we're going to be all over the place this morning. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. That's the anchor text, so you can go ahead and start turning there. But we're also going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be looking at a passage out of the book of Acts. And so just go ahead and put your finger all over the place. We're going to be moving. We're going to be doing it. I'm excited because here it is. We have good news this morning, church. We have very, very good news this morning. And so I don't know how your spirit is when you walked in, but my prayer is when you walk out, the spirit's going to be alive, fresh, and new in your hearts. And so I don't want to waste any time. Let's dive in. Let's read the passage. We're going to take it pretty much as we normally do, verse by verse, and see what the Lord is going to draw to our attention this morning. Let's pick up right there at the beginning, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... We didn't make it very far. Let's pause for a second. What does it say? Third word, if anyone is in Christ, who's anyone? Every single person. Understand, if you walked in here and you're a male or a female, which every single one of you are, then this passage is for you. This passage is not segregated. There's no restrictions based on gender, based on race, based on ethnicity, based on social status. It does not matter what your past life maybe looks like. You could have walked in here with a laundry list of sins and think, hey, there's no way the Bible is ever going to be for me. That is not true. Because Paul's going to start off right away in this passage. He's going to say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. What that means, church, is this. It is for all 8 billion people who are on this planet right now. The word that we're going to preach today, the word that we're going to walk through, what it's for is for all 8 billion people. It's for the 3 billion people who have never, not once, heard the message of the gospel. It's for the 7,000 people groups who the word of God has not come to yet. It is for every single person. And so if you walked in here and somehow, some way, you live in southwest Roanoke County and you've never heard the message of the gospel, Somehow you've never heard that proclaimed in a very real and easy to follow way. I want you to know something. This word today, it's for you. I believe it is for you and it is from God. And so let's keep reading. Let's see what this word has to say. Verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And so what is Paul getting at here? When he says that, We are in Christ. What does that actually look like? How do we get to a place where we are in Christ? What is this new creation Paul is speaking about? Well, I wanted to make this as crystal clear as I possibly could this morning. And so when you walked in, you should have found something that looked like this in your seats. If you don't raise your hand right now, we have ushers in the back, and they want to give those to you. And so I don't know about you, but I came today prepared to be a participant in worship. That's why I came. I came to participate in worshiping the Lord God. Amen? That's what we came to do. So what that means is some of you are going to sit there and you're going to be tempted to do this. You're going to be sitting there and look at me like this all morning. 
But I don't think that's what the Lord wants us to do today. I think he wants us to all participate in the actual service today. And so what that means for you is you got to uncross your arms. you got to get your hands out of your pocket. you got to stop hugging your wife for a few minutes because you've got to participate in worship. And so grab this thing out. Grab your pen in your hand. Let's walk through. What I want to do is I want to give us, in the most clear way that I know how to do, I want to give us a gospel presentation. And what this is, church, this is the same thing we use in our Next Steps class. It's the same thing we use in our evangelism class, and so let's walk through it. This is how we can better understand the message of the gospel. And so with pen in hand, your first circle as you're taking notes is this. It's all about God's design. You can write it down, God's design. You see, the Bible, what it does is it tells us very clearly that God originally planned for a world that worked perfectly together. It was a world that was supposed to have everything and everyone fit together in what we call perfect Harmony, but the problem with the world is we selfishly, all the time, we insist on what? We insist on doing things our own way. We insist on wanting to ignore God and his original design for our lives. And so what happens is, you can see from the image, we as human beings, we choose to go our own direction. And we choose to do what that arrow said. We depart from God's design. We leave God's design, his intentions, and the Bible has a very clear word when we depart from his design, and the word right there that you can write in is sin. And if you are here last week, then you heard the truth that every single one of us, we're guilty of that sin, aren't we? I mean, all the time, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so what happens is, when you and I, when we choose to go our own way, when we choose to make decisions or do certain things that break God's command, what happens is it causes a separation in our life. And that separation is a separation between us and God. And so picture it like two mountain peaks up here that we're just separated from God and there's nothing we can do in our own power to bridge the gap and to get back to God. And ultimately, what happens is when we sin in our lives, when we depart from God's design, what happens is, is it leads us into a place that we know as brokenness. Now, let me ask you a question, church. Show of hands, being completely honest this morning, how many people have ever experienced brokenness in their life? Absolutely. Every hand should be up in this room. How many people look around you all the time and you say, man, this world is a broken place? It is, Right? And if you don't know, if you're living under a rock, turn on the news for about 10 minutes and you'll see just how broken this world truly is. There's illnesses, there's sickness, there's broken marriages, there's things all over the place that put us in a place of brokenness. And what happens is when we get into this state, when we depart from that design that God has, when we sin, when we end up in this place of brokenness, what happens is we realize that our life is broken. And so what do we do? But we start to look for certain ways. We start to look and try to figure out, how do I get out of brokenness in my own power? And so we turn to things of the world. You see, that's what all these squiggly lines represent. We turn to things like drugs. We turn to things like alcohol. We turn to things like idols in our life that maybe we feel like are going to give us that temporary joy, that temporary satisfaction. It's going to fill the hole of brokenness in our lives. We turn to things like workaholism where we just bury ourselves in our task and try to ignore the real problems that are, we're faced with in our lives. Because that's what happens when we get into a place of brokenness. But the good news is when we hit brokenness, ultimately what becomes of it is at some point the Spirit of God works in our hearts. And he helps us realize something. He helps us realize that we can't fix our problems on our own. 
It's going to take something that is greater than anything we can do in our own power. And brothers and sisters, that's where the good news comes in. Right? That's where the gospel comes in. Now, I want you to do something on your sheet. I don't know if you have it on your sheet this morning. I don't think you do. In the very center of your sheet, I want you to draw that cross. And on the left side of the cross, I want you to draw simply an arrow that goes down right beside it. Just draw an arrow that goes straight down. And on the other side, I want you to draw an arrow that goes straight up. We're going to need it for the illustration. And so draw the arrow down, cross in the center, draw the arrow up. Here's what the gospel says. First of all, gospel, here's what it means. It means the good news of Jesus Christ. And so what is that good news? The good news is very simple. The good news is that God Almighty looked upon us, and while we were still departing from his design, while we were still choosing to go our own ways, being disobedient individuals, while we were still stuck in our brokenness trying to figure this thing out on our own, what God does is he looks at his son and he says, you know what, i got a task for you, Jesus. I need you to leave this perfect place called heaven. I need you to go down. That's what that down arrow represents. He's going to come down to this earth. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to live that perfect, sinless life. And that's what Jesus did for all of us. For 33 years, folks, think about that. I'm 35. Right? And so for 33 years, that man, Jesus Christ, walked on, his, on this earth, and he never, not once, departed from God's design. He lived the perfect life, the sinless life. He was never in a place where he was facing brokenness because he never actually committed a sin. And so for 33 years, he walked on this earth living in perfection. And at the end of that time, he looked at you and I as sinners separated from God, deserving of God's wrath. And he said, you know what? I love you too much to leave you as you are. I'm going to die on a cross for you. And that's what that cross represents. Jesus being put up on that cross with nails driven through his hands, hands as he hung there. And he died on the cross for every single one of you. Why? So that you didn't have to pay the penalty yourself. He died in your place. But the good news, church, it doesn't end right there. Right? It's one thing for him to die on the cross, but the good news is the arrow on the other side. Because you know what happened three days later? It's what we celebrate on Easter every year. And honestly, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, right? Because Jesus, what did he do? He rose from the dead. When he rose from the dead, what did that prove? It proved that he was truly the Son of God. It proved that not the, 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 the grave, death, and sin, nothing could hold him down. He truly is God's holy Son. And he now holds out his hand to you, and he offers forgiveness of your sin. And so... Jesus has done this for all of us in our lives, but I want you to understand something this morning. Because simply hearing about the good news of Jesus, it's not enough. Right? Just because you've heard the word this morning doesn't automatically make you a follower of Jesus. There's more to the story. Right? You've got to take action. You've got to do something in your life. And that leads you to the next arrow down there on the bottom right. And that's that we've got to repent and believe. What does that mean? When you write that on your page, as you reflect on that, what does that mean? Here's what it means. It means we must admit our sinful brokenness, and we've got to stop trusting in ourselves. It means that we have to ask God to forgive us, turning from our sin and trusting in Jesus Christ alone. And when that happens, church, this is the good news. When that happens, we, we see what Paul's writing about this morning in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. When we believe, when we repent of our sins and believe in Jesus, what happens is we become in Christ. And what then? We become a new creation, as Paul writes this morning. 
The old things, as he said, have passed away, and behold, the new has come. In other words, you were once lost, and guess what? Now you're found. Once you were an enemy of God, and now you are a child of God adopted into the family of God. Once you had no hope of eternal life. Can I get a witness? But now what? You have a free gift of eternal life. To put it bluntly, here it is. At one time, your destiny was a real place called hell. But now, when you repent and believe and you become in Christ, your destiny is heaven. Here's the bottom line. Write it down. You were once dead in your sin, but now you are alive in Christ. Amen? And so that's the good news of Jesus Christ. But you notice there's one more arrow that comes out. And so we're not quite done with the whole understanding of the gospel story. And so the question becomes, okay, we are new creations in Christ, but what happens now that we become new creations in Christ? When we receive that salvation, what happens? And here's what I believe happens. We begin to recover and pursue God's design. You see, when Christ enters into our hearts and he restores our relationship with him, we begin to recover and pursue God's design in all areas of our lives. And that means that you and I, we no longer live for ourselves, you see. We don't live for Alan Moore's purposes. We don't live for John Sharp's purposes or Chris Hall's purposes. We live for Christ and Christ alone. That means we no longer see people as the world sees them. Instead, we see people as Christ sees them. We see people as sinners, just like we all were at one point. We see them as sinners who are in need of a Savior. That's what it means to pursue God's design. And so, with that reality in mind, all that in the forefront of your mind, we're going to transition to the next four verses. And what Paul is going to do is he's going to inform us. He's going to say, okay, if you've become this, if you've believed in this, in other words, if you're here today and right now you would say, you know what, Alan, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that at one point I was broken and I really believe the gospel. And so what I've done in my life is I've repented and believed. And right now I'm recovering and pursuing. I'm in that process. What Paul's going to do now is he's going to say, okay, Here is now your role. Here are your marching orders. Here are now your responsibilities as a follower of Jesus. Okay, you ready? Everybody ready? Better hold on. We're going to keep going. Here it goes. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I love this text, y'all. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, picking up in verse 18. Here's what it says. It says, and all this is from God. In other words, everything we just read, those at verse 17, all that is from God. When you became a new creation, that was from God. Who, through Christ, reconciled who to himself and gave, this is what I want you to underline, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal, what? Through us, and we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then we come to verse 21, and 21 is just an exclamation point from Paul. This is the gospel. This is what we just talked about. This is the cross right here. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin. Who is him? God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, the perfect, the spotless lamb of God. He made him to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Powerful, isn't it? That's some powerful stuff. Let's unpack it. 
Now, I don't know if you noticed as we were reading through, but specifically as you look at verses 18 through 20, there's a common theme right there. Look at your text. See if there's a common theme right there. What's the word that keeps coming up over and over and over? Do you see it? It's reconcile. It's mentioned five times in those three verses. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, okay, he's saying that we have the ministry and we have the message of reconciliation. So what does that actually mean? What does the word reconcile, what's he talking about here? Well, I went to Google because anytime you're not, you know, you just want to check Google, right? Google knows everything. But I checked Google. I said, what does Google say about reconciliation? And, and surprisingly, I really liked the, the, the definition it gave. And so here's what it says. It says, reconciliation is the restoration of friendly relations. It's a pretty good def- de- definition, isn't it? It's, the, it's restoring friendly relationships between two parties. And so let's, let's make this biblical for a second. What's Paul getting at right here? Here's what I think. He's saying this. Our job is to help other people restore friendly relations with God. Plain and simple. That's our job. That's what he's saying. Our ministry is to help other people understand who God is so that they can experience salvation through him, just like all of us have experienced salvation through him. Now, as I've studied the text over the past couple weeks, one of the things that I've realized is this, these verses that we're looking at are dangerously close to the Great Commission, are they not? You guys remember the Great Commission, right? If you look back through the text, I'll show it to you. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, this is Jesus speaking. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20, Jesus came to his disciples. Here's what he said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been what? Given to me. Therefore, here's what your charge is to do. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Church, these verses is essentially what Paul is telling us right here this morning in verses 18 to 20. He's saying that God is trusting you and I with the ministry and the message of reconciliation. He's telling you right now, if you said, I'm a new creation in Christ, I believe this. If you said, yes, I believe that, what Paul is looking at you is saying, okay, go in all the world and tell everybody else. That's what he's saying. Go in all the world, preach the gospel. He's telling you, go back to verse 20, he's saying you are now an ambassador for Christ. And your job is simple. Declare this message Two lost people. Now, I completely realize that when I stand on this stage and look at a group this size, I understand that half of us in here are introverts, half of us in here are extroverts. And so the whole idea in your mind right now of, holy smokes, he's asking me to go evangelize, that's intimidating for many people. Even some of the extroverts would say, that's an intimidating thing. I don't know how I'm going to be able to do that. But let me remind you of something also that we see in the book of Acts. You don't have to do this alone. In fact, the Lord is not asking you to do this on your own and in your own power. It would be silly for us to think that we can go and do this in our own power. And so let me take you to Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 8. And here's what I want you to remember, what Jesus said to his disciples. And if you remember back to Acts chapter 1, what's happened? At that point in the story, Jesus has already died on the cross. Jesus has already risen from the dead. He's already spent a little over a month with his disciples. And so Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven. He's about to leave them, so to speak, once and for all, at least on this earth. 
But right before he ascends into heaven, I want you to see what he actually looks upon his disciples and says. Acts 1, starting in verse 8, it says this. But you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Church, Jesus says you will receive power. From who? From the Holy Spirit when you come into relationship with him. Church, let me remind you of something this morning. When you ask Jesus to come into your life, when you repented, as we saw a moment ago, when you repented of your sin and when you believed the gospel and began to be a follower of Jesus, yes, God took away your sins. Yes, God actually made you a new creation, as we saw in verse 17. But God also did something else for you. He sent the Holy Spirit as a gift to live inside of your life. And that means if you're a follower of Jesus, then right now, at this very moment, the Holy Spirit of God is living inside your heart. Isn't that not awesome? The Holy Spirit of God, not some Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that we're reading about in Acts chapter 1-8 right here. The same Holy Spirit. You think about the day of Pentecost. We talked about it earlier in the year. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples. And all of a sudden, Peter comes up and he proclaims this powerful message. And 3,000 people believed the gospel message on that day. That same Holy Spirit that was filling up Peter and giving him the power on that moment, that same Holy Spirit is living inside of you right now. Amen? He is inside of you right now. And that means, that means this. That means that you have the confidence and you have everything you need to do the work of God. Now, quick side note. With that in mind, does that actually mean that you and I have the ability to save people and give them eternal life? In other words, do you have the ability to change someone's heart in and of yourself now? The answer is absolutely not. Listen, I have a hard enough time going to my three-month-old daughter and changing her diaper, right? I look at her, and she gets on that changing table. And you know what? If you've ever had a kid, you know what I'm talking about. She gets on that thing. She starts kicking. She starts doing everything. And she's got, especially when it's number two. I mean, it's a nightmare when it's number two because you're in there, and you're trying to, like, roll your sleeves up. You're like... All right, Hadley, I'm all in, girl. Let's do it. And so you're trying to, like, move, and she's kicking and swirling and smiling because she's happy because you're changing her. And so here it is. I have a hard time into myself just changing my daughter's hat. They're, they're just changing her diaper. There's no way that I can have the ability to change someone's heart. Can I get a witness? Like, we can't do this in our own power. But let me tell you what I can do. I can point to the one who can. Can I? We can all point to Jesus because he gives us the power to do it. We can tell other people about how he has impacted our lives. And guess what? You all can do the exact same thing. No one can deny your personal testimony. No one can deny what he has done in your life. And so we've got to seek the Holy Spirit and allow him to move inside of our lives. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you've been empowered this morning. You have been. You've been empowered by the Spirit of God to share the message of the gospel with lost people, which means whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, whether you've been a Christian for 40 years or whether you just believe the gospel when I walked through it 44 40, uh, minutes ago, whatever it may be, whether your gift is evangelism, whether it's not, whether you uh, grew up in the church or whether you just started coming, here it is. You've been given the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the ministry and the message of reconciliation, period. You have it. And so if you're sitting there this morning and you're thinking, well, I'm just going to be quiet. 
I'm just going to wait and let God find another way, or I'm going to let God find another person to share the gospel with my children. I'm going to let God find another person to share the gospel with my spouse. I'm going to let another person find. Uh, I'm going to let another person. God find another person to share the gospel with my with my, my with my kids, with my coworkers, with my neighbors, with my friends, whoever it may be. He may or he may not. But guess what? He may have just put you there. He may have just put you. He may have said, "You're the plan." Your plan A, and I want you to carry it out. Listen, you have the ministry of reconciliation. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And listen, God is counting on you. That's what this verse is getting at. God is depending on you to be his faithful servant. The verse is saying God is making his appeal, what? Through you. God is making his appeal through us, every single one of us. He wants us to look at a lost world, and he wants us to be his representatives. And so the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is this. Who is our one? We've asked it a ton in this church. You know what I believe? As many times as we've asked it, there's some of us sitting in here right now, and not one time yet have you shared the message of Jesus with someone. And we've been talking about this for a couple years. And so the question is, who is it right now that God is calling you to share the gospel with? Who do you right now, we're thinking about bless every home, right? Simplest way to change the world. Gospel hospitality. Who is it right now that the Lord, I know he's putting someone on your heart because he's putting someone on mine. And so what he's doing is he's saying, who do you need to build a relationship right now so that you can share the gospel of Jesus with him? Who do you need to be inviting to church? Who do you need to be inviting to life group? And whoever it is right now in your heart, here's my prayer. I pray that you'll be obedient. I pray that you won't quench that spirit that's trying to draw you out. I pray that you'll be obedient and walk into that calling. And I can tell you, there's a group of people, because I'm one of them, there's a group of people that are praying hard for you to do that. They're praying with all their might for you to be obedient. Because here's the reality. All of us have a relationship right now. Why? Because someone else was bold enough to share their faith with you. Someone was. In my life, it was my parents, and it was a student pastor by the name of Joby Martin. They were bold enough to stand before me and say, this is who Jesus is. I urge you to believe in his name. And so what you need to do now, what I need to do now is think about in our life, if someone did that for me, how can I do that for someone else? And so who are you going to do it with? Who's it going to be? Who are you going to share Christ with so that they can experience the same salvation that you've experienced in your own heart? You know, this past week, I actually got the privilege, and I know I've, I shared this on Facebook, so some of you guys are aware of this, but I actually got the privilege of going to Asbury University. Powerful. Let me just start with that. It's powerful. And so I want to take just a few minutes as we begin to wrap up this morning to share about the experience that I had. Uh, about a week and a half ago, I got a call by a guy named Bill Goodman, and he just basically said, hey, I'm going whether you're going or not, so are you in? I said, let's do it. And so we, we started working our way through and thinking through who we're going to invite. And so we picked up the phone, called a couple guys. The next thing you know, it was four of us that went. It was myself, Bill Goodman, Sean Heath, and Chris, Chris Hall. And as we made our way there, it was a six-hour six, uh, six journey from here to Kentucky. And as we were making our way there, we really didn't have any expectations. And I didn't want to. I just wanted to say, you know what, Lord, just show me what you're doing and let me experience what it is. And when we got there, we pulled in. We actually had to park in a neighborhood because it was such uh, they weren't letting anybody on campus as far as cars because there was just so many people. And so we got out of the car. We had to walk about a half a mile. And when we finally got to the place, we walked up. And I remember it's just a jaw-dropping thing. And we just saw this incredible outpouring of people, and unlike anything really I, I can describe. 
The place that we were trying to get into, which is called Hughes Memorial Auditorium, you see it right there. This is just the short, shortest line I can actually say. This is probably the line we had after we had waited for three hours. The line wrapped around six different times, and we ended up by, down by a local gas station that was off campus as far as we had to wait. They had, it was waiting for people to get in in overflow areas. It was that populated, not to mention the hundreds of people that weren't even trying to get in. They just wanted to be on the grounds, and so there was some big screen set up that you could go out and just worship from the outside. And so we were blown away at the number of people that were present. We were blown away by the number of people who were volunteering. I was blown away personally by the distance people were traveling. I thought I had come a long way. We didn't meet a ton of people while we were there because we were in line the whole time. You don't really meet a whole lot of whoever's in front of you and behind you, right? But when we got there, we started meeting different people. We realized people had come from St. Louis, from Chicago, from Florida, from Pittsburgh, from Memphis, all over the place. It was truly incredible. And as the excitement built, as we stood in line, Sean was the main warrior. He didn't leave line for three and a half hours. I couldn't believe it. I was like, go get him, Tiger. But he didn't leave. I have to leave. You know me. I can't stand still that long. And so I was out moving around. But when we finally got there, we got right on the, on the, on the doorstep, and the excitement just started to build. I don't know if it was the excitement of the Holy Spirit or if it's because the person behind me gave me a Rice Krispie treat. But I just all of a sudden got this, like, renewed energy inside me. You can ask the guys. I started dancing. I just felt like this was going to be cool because I was expecting God to do something. We got in line at 720. At 1050, we got on the doorstep three and a half hours later. And what I was encouraged by a lot was the hunger of people, not only inside but outside. I remember one, one specific guy, the song started playing. He started worshiping like this. Next thing, he started worshiping like this. Then he started worshiping like this. By the end of the song, he's worshiping like this. I mean, it was just freedom, complete freedom. And so I was encouraged. I was ready to hop in. I was excited. I didn't know what I was going to expect. And all of a sudden, we walked in, and this is the first image that I saw. We walked up the stairs to the balcony, and we looked over. It was just incredible. It was breathtaking. And the only thing I, I know how to describe it is there was a hunger for God, and there was a freedom in worship, and it was a beautiful thing. You see, if you look at the stage, it's not a big show. There was no production. There was no famous speaker there. There was no, Chris Tomlin wasn't there performing, right? It wasn't anything like that. It was just a bunch of college kids. There was a person on the piano. had somebody on a guitar. You had a kid sitting on a little box drum and another vocalist. That was it, leading worship. And yet, as you sang, what you experienced was a sound that was unlike any other. And I know the guys that I was with, we're not gifted like Noel and Kelly and Ruthann and all the rest of our worship team. We don't sound good. But for whatever the reason is, as we sang, we couldn't hear each other's voices. We heard what felt like an angelic voice from heaven. It was truly an incredible thing. We felt like, honestly, it felt like a worship service where Jesus Christ himself was on stage and all of our little lambs behind him were just cheering him on. That's what it felt like. You could truly sense the Holy Spirit's presence in that place. And you know, as I, re as I reflected on what I saw and what I witnessed, I just began to ask myself the question, like, what brought this on? Like, how did this happen? What spurred thousands of people across the, the United States to make this trek to Asbury University? And the reality is this. This all began, if you're not familiar, with about 20 students. You see, after a chapel service where about 100 gathered on February 8th, 20 students decided they wanted to linger a little bit longer in this huge auditorium. And what they began to do were four things. They began to worship together. They began to pray together. They began to confess sin to one another. And the last one is the big one. They began to surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. I believe many of those students actually knew Jesus and had a relationship with him. But there were certain things in their life that at that point they hadn't fully surrendered to him. And it's like they knew him as their savior. They had, quote, unquote, fire insurance. 
but they didn't necessarily know him as Lord. They hadn't surrendered everything in their life. And that's what was happening at my campus. People were surrendering things to Jesus. And, and I believe that these 20 students got to a place of this. Here's what I believe. I believe they just simply wanted more of Jesus. They had a burning in their heart, just screaming out, more of God. And I remember being in there and worshiping. I don't remember what song this was, but we were worshiping at one point, and the whole place just broke out. I don't even know if this is an actual song. But the whole place just broke out and just saying, I want more. I want more. I want more of you, Jesus. I'm not going to sing super loud because it's embarrassing, but you get the concept of what I'm talking about. It was just this outpouring, this explosion of people that were just hungry for the Lord. And you know what? The Lord, he answered that hunger. He answered that call, and those students experienced an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that they may never experience again in their life. It was an absolutely beautiful thing. And as I reflected on those students, it helped me realize something. It helped me realize that if we want to experience revival in our own personal lives, if we want to experience revival within our families, if we want to experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our church or in this Roanoke Valley, then you know what it starts with? It starts with you and I, everyone in this room, saying this, I want more Jesus. That's what it's all about. And so this morning, as we kind of wrap up and we begin to close out, my simple question to you is this. Are you satisfied right now with the amount of Jesus that you have in your life? Or do you have a hunger for more? Because for me personally, I'll tell you this, I want more, I want more, I want more of you, Jesus. And in order for me to get more of Jesus, that begins with this. That begins with me surrendering everything in my life to him. Not some of it, not part of it, not a little bit of it. It starts with me confessing my sin to him. It starts with me telling Jesus, I'm going to die on the cross as if you died on the cross, right? It happens when I die to myself and I pick up my cross every single day and follow him. And that's exactly what I've been having to do over the past couple of months. I told you last week, the Lord's been really stirring and he's been moving in my heart. And so what I've been doing is I've just been coming before him over and over and over again and saying, you know what, Lord, I confess this, and I confess this, and I confess this, and I know I fall short over here, and I know I fall short over here. And this past Tuesday, I had to do the same thing. The Lord really challenged me and pushed me forward and said, you need to confess some sin to your leadership team. And so on Tuesday night, just like I am now, I had tears in my eyes, and I looked upon my team, and I told them, I said, I am a sinful individual. I'm broken. There are things in my life where I fall short. And so I began to just confess sin to them. I confess things like pride. You say, man, Alan, you don't seem like the prideful person. Let me tell you, I'm the prideful person. I'm the type of person that is really good at asking you a question in order to get a compliment back to me. And so I have pride in my life. And so I've been confessing that pride. There are things in my life where I'm fearful. I feel the Lord leading me to do something, and then I'll back away because I'm scared. And what, what is fear? Fear is a lack of faith. And so I've been confessing to them, man, there's sometimes where I'm just fearful. I've been confessing that, you know what, there's areas in my life where I'm jealous, right? And so I've been confessing that to them and saying, look, I recognize I fall short and I'm broken and I'm sorry and I'm in need of forgiveness. And so I ask you right now, as we begin to wrap up this piano's plan, how about you? What is it right now that you need to surrender to God today? What is it right now in your heart? Listen, two months ago, 
If you looked at me and asked me, Alan, is there any consistent or persistent sin that is in your life? I'd look back at you and I'd say, no. Yes, I sin. Yes, I mess up. Yes, I do things that aren't good and honoring to God from time to time, and I confess those, but there's not a persistent sin. But the Lord's really started to work in my heart as I've asked him, just show me areas in my life where I fall short. And what's happened is I've been like an onion. He's just been peeling back the layers one by one and saying, hey, here's something else. And I'm like, Lord, I confess it over and over and over again. And what's happened is he's revitalizing my soul. He's transforming my heart over and over and over again. And so I'm going to ask you to do the exact same thing this morning. What is it that you need to surrender? What do you need to confess? What do you need to put to death that's keeping you from being all in, as we talked about last week, all in for Jesus? I want to zoom in one more time. Same picture as before, but zoomed in. I want to point out something that I think was really making the impact and carrying this thing on. If you look right down there at the very front of the stage, what do you see? You see a prayer altar, don't you? The entire time we were in there, all two hours, that thing was not empty at all. As soon as one person left, the next person came, and they received prayer. And some of it was confession. Some of it was salvation for the first time. But what it was was is it was a pure surrender to God. And every one of those, it seemed like they would get up, and you could see it from this guy right here. They would get up, and they would hug. There was a freedom that was happening in that place. And church, I believe the same thing can happen here, but you know what has to happen? We have to humble ourselves, we have to come before the Lord, and we have to surrender every part of our life to Him. And when we do that, we can experience the freedom from the bondage of the sin that is in our lives. And so that's exactly what I'm going to ask us to do as we close. I want to ask us to stand. We're going to sing in just a minute. Don't stand yet. We're going to sing a song called Amazing Grace, because church, here it is. We all need grace, don't we? Again and again and again. And he gives us amazing grace. And so this morning, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you walked in with today. Maybe this morning you heard the three circles. You say, Alan, I need that. I need salvation. I haven't experienced salvation through Jesus Christ. And today, you need to experience that for the very first time. I'm going to be down front. There's going to be a couple other people that are down front. Come and receive prayer for salvation. Receive Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've ventured off a little bit and you need to come back to him and recommit your life to him and ask him to put a hunger for Jesus in your life. You don't need to just do that in your seat. You need to come forward and have somebody pray that over you. You need to get down right here on the ground, take a knee and say, Lord, I surrender to you. I'm hungry for you. Maybe this morning you just need to simply confess some things and you need to surrender your heart to him. Maybe you walked in and your marriage is not in a good place. Maybe it's falling apart and you don't know what to do about it. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction and maybe that doesn't necessarily have to mean drugs or alcohol, but something in your life you're addicted to. Maybe you're a husband or a wife right now and you know that you're supposed to be leading your family spiritually and you're not doing it at the best that you can do right now. Maybe there's an idol in your life that is replacing God and you need to put that idol to death today. Some of us right now, if we're being honest, we have not evangelized since we became a Christian. And so right now, the Lord is calling you, and he's saying, hey, you have the ministry, and you have the message of reconciliation, and he's asking you to move. And so this morning, you need to go to someone, or you need to come down here face first and say, you know what, Lord? I'm giving it all up. I'm going to fulfill your great commission. Send me out. Give me the courage. Give me the strength and the power to do just that. And so the altar is going to be open. Whatever it is for you, come forward. 
Don't let the fear of other people keep you from confessing and getting right with the Lord. Move as you may, worship as you may, but let's all stand and let's sing Amazing Grace.